Amen. Praise the Lord. We have a special morning this morning as we have announced, and to uh, kind of introduce that and take it away, we're going to welcome up our favorite New Hope person, Wendy Bruce. Can you hear me? <laughs> you probably could hear me anyway. I'm so excited this morning. So today is our kickoff for Operation Christmas Child. Let's hear it for OCC. <laughs> I, I am really beyond excited. Um, today we have a very special way of um, starting our OCC um, kickoff. So uh, I don't even know what to say. I'm so excited. Uh, we have a guest speaker this morning. You don't have to listen to me. You can listen to the real deal. And I'd like to introduce you. It's such a blessing and joy to introduce to you Gifflin. <laughs> and I'd also like to welcome our guest, Heather Mills, our area coordinator, and her husband, Dan, our guest this morning. And Gifflin is going to tell you a little bit about her story here during the service. And then I really uh, hope that you all will join us in the fellowship hall for a luncheon. And she's going to actually there tell more about her story. And she'll answer questions that you might have too. All right. Here you go, Gifflin. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, church. <laughs> what a privilege it is to be with you all. And I'm so grateful that you have me here. It's, it's a joy for me to go and tell people how good God is. Amen. And without him, where would you be? Where would I be? Certainly not here in Rhode Island. Um, and so I begin with Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Hallelujah. My story is just a story of God's faithfulness, how the Lord has worked in my parents' life and in, and in my life, and the fact that I get to stand before you and to thank you for partnering with this ministry, whether you're packing shoeboxes or praying for these boxes or, or, doing, or just set, help setting up chairs, whatever it may be. This, the size of what you do doesn't matter, but God sees our heart, and, and he is so faithful to be with us and to strengthen us in what we do. Now, uh, like um, Wendy shared, I'll, I'll share a brief a version of my story, and so I really hope you get to come and hang out with us afterwards. But my story begins not with me, but with my parents. So when my parents had just finished um, college, they were in their early 20s, they had just gotten married, the Lord put on their heart to, be, um, to plant churches. And so my, my dad answered the call of ministry, and so he went to little areas nearby to, to plant churches. Now, I come from a country where only 2% of the population are Christians, and that's why I don't even mention where I'm from or even the region, because right now the persecution is so high that we want to protect our volunteers that are on the ground. And so I'm privileged to be part of a Christian family, but even more privileged to have been born into a pastor's family. And so all my life, all I knew was my parents' ministry and them going out to serve people. But my, my parents faced a lot of opposition. Every time they went into a new town or a new village to, to set up a church, even just to talk to people, they were immediately kicked out. Many times my, my dad was beaten and um, warned severely to never come back again. 
But my parents knew that what God, what God called them was important, and they knew the calling on their lives. And so they prayed, Lord, give us new ways. Give us creative ways to reach people. And so whether it was Sunday school under a tree um, or gathering in a bicycle shop um, with just one member, <laughs> one, one older grandma who came to visit my parents, I'm not even sure if she stayed awake throughout the entire service. <laughs> um, but th- that's how my parents started. That's how they wanted to go and plug in. But one day, my dad got a call from a, from a city that was a little far away, and, and the pastor said, listen, we have these boxes, <laughs> and they're, they're filled with gifts, and we were wondering if you could, if you, you could go distribute some of them. We're going to give a lot out where we're at, but we, would love, we know that you're here in this remote area, in this village, and so we'd love if you can go pass them out. Of course, my dad was so excited. He was like, of course, (laughs) please, anything. This is such a great opportunity for us to go and reach, especially the children of the village that my mom especially had a heart for. And so they planned, and this is the way all of our shoebox distributions work. We have have volunteers on the ground that work year-round to partner with local pastors and local churches so that we can pass out these shoeboxes. And they're anxiously waiting for when the shoeboxes arrive because all the plans are already all set. And so my parents, they planned an outreach event. And they were super ambitious, you know, early 20s. <laughs> um, they wanted to hit a lot of different places in one day. And so they planned to, to, to go to different areas within, within the village and also the nearby towns and to pass out shoeboxes. And so the day came, and I'm only three years old. How old are you, buddy? You're five? So you're a lot older than I was. <laughs> I was only three years old, and so, of course, I don't remember my parents planning these logistics or even the other events. But I do remember how every place we went, all these kids got these boxes. And they would open up these boxes. They were so excited. Now, what do you think I wanted? A box. (laughs) And so, of course, I asked my parents, can I please, can I please have a box? Um, But what do you think they said? No, they're not for you. We're here for these people. We're here, for, we're here to tell people about God. And so if there's one left, maybe, but we're here for others. And so if you look at the first um, picture on the slide, this was our, oh, maybe background. The suspense. What, what's what's going to come up there? There you go. And so this was the last stop of the night. And so we had been giving out shoeboxes all day, and this was the last stop. And all these kids got got shoebox gifts. And as you can see on the, in, the, in the picture, they're, they're, they're cupping their hands to pray because my dad, before passing out these shoebox gifts, would explain that loving people from far away had sent these boxes and that these boxes were from God and that God loved us so much. He came to this earth to die for our sins and, so, and he rose again so that we could live with him. The gospel is presented at every shoebox distribution. These boxes, these toys are not what saves children. Is that, isn't that true? It's God. It's the, it's the saving grace of the gospel. And so that's what we give. The shoeboxes are an excuse for us to go talk to people. <laughs> um, and so my dad presented the gospel. And so he handed out a shoebox to every single child. And I remember passing it out to every single kid, especially this last stop. And then we got to the end. And what do you think happened? There was one box left for me. And so if you look to the next photo, um, I look a little bit different now. <laughs> but that was me at three years old with, with my box. And my face looks a bit perplexed, maybe because the box was bigger than me. <laughs> but I was so excited. I sat down with my shoebox gift, and I joined in with the kids thanking God. Now, this box was so special to me because even my parents said I couldn't have one. 
but I, I ask God, you know, you know, when you're secretly hoping, even when your parents say no, and you're like, but please, God, please. <laughs> and so God answered my prayer request. And in that moment, I could, I just felt so loved. And I knew that God had given to me. I had no idea who packed my box, but it felt like God himself had delivered that box to me. And so I sat down and I thanked God, just like all the other kids. And then we counted one, two, three, and we opened our shoebox gift. And my heart was as happy as it could be. What do you think I saw, buddy? Some toys. I saw some toys. I saw some coloring supplies. I saw a mini umbrella. But my favorite item was a doll. And that's not the best photo. And it can never capture the joy I had when I received that doll. Doll had a, a pretty green dress. And this was the most special doll, if you can believe it or not, because I literally felt that it came right from God, straight from God to me. And I wasn't sure if I was going to get one. All day long, I had seen my parents do ministry my whole life from that point. My parents had always gone out. I wouldn't see them for some time, um, some, some periods of um, days at a time because they'd be going out to share the gospel. They'd be traveling far. And yet this box showed that God saw me. I love when Hagar, ta- and even in Hagar, um, she mentions El Roy, the name for God, the God who sees. And, and that's really my story. He's the God who sees. He's the God of near and far. And he sure loves those village children. He loved all those kids that have yet to hear his name, but he also saw me. I'm not just a pastor's daughter or just to here to help my parents, but I'm also his child, so loved by him. Amen? Amen. And so the shoebox gift served us two great purposes. First, it allowed us for, to go to these areas that had previously kicked my parents out. They had no way of entering. And so what the shoebox distribution allowed us to do is not just gather the kids, but their parents who, were, who came by but stood at a distance just to see what was happening. And then their grandparents and aunts and uncle. All those. I mean, when you come to a place and you say, I want to give you something and I don't want to take anything from you, people are curious. That's different. And so we, that's how we show God's love, especially in these areas that are so hostile to the gospel. We tell them, no, we really don't want anything from you. We just want to give. And so my parents, as they were praying and starting and believing for this church, this distribution was a great way to share the gospel. But more than that, the Operation Christmas Child Ministry is about evangelism, discipleship, and multiplication, right? And so in the coming days, our humble church that started in a bicycle shop with just that one grandma, if you remember, grew to over 50 people because, because those that came to distribution became curious. They wanted to know more. They wanted to learn more. And my parents uh, have told me stories of those that came, their aunts and uncles, their distant relatives that want to come now and see that is what we're doing this for. It, sometimes it's so easy for us to get caught up in the, in the item that we're going to put. Can I fit all these items in this box? Or am I buying the right things? Or am I doing, am I doing enough? No, these are just, but just seeds, just seeds that we plant in these areas for God to do his work, for God to do what only he can do. Amen. Now, if you, if you forget everything that I said <laughs> this morning, I hope you don't forget my doll because that doll is just a tangible expression of God's love for me. He showed me that he loves me, that he cares for me, and that he continues to provide for me and my family and our church. But I want to leave you with this sense of urgency. Now, I had the privilege of uh, being in Florida back in March for the Connect Conference. It's, it's a global conference where volunteers from around the world OCC volunteers from around the world gather. Our ministry partners that are in other countries as well as thousands of people from America. And 
what um, President Franklin um, had, had reminded us is a sense of urgency that we have. We've just celebrated 30 years with Operation Christmas Child and over 200 million shoeboxes. Praise God. That's 200 million children that have heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. 200 million kids like me who, who felt the Elroy God who saw them wherever they were. But what we were warned is that we may not have the next 30 years. We don't have that guarantee. We anticipate Jesus coming, and he, we know he's coming soon, amen. And so we don't know the time that we have, and we don't have the luxury to kick back. When I was worshiping with you all, as soon as I entered this church, I felt like I was home. And I've never met you before, but that, that's how it is in the kingdom of God, right? And so how many more people, how many more people, how many more kids have yet to hear, have yet to know, have yet to feel that love that they're home, that they're finally home? And so I want to leave you with Psalm 78 verses, if I can flip to it, (laughs) Psalm 78 verse 4 says, we will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. Verse 6, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, that they in turn would tell their children, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Amen. And so that's what we're working for. Galatians 6, 9 says, do not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, if you don't give up, you'll reap a harvest. And this is an eternal harvest we're reaping. And I'm just one of the 200 million that gets to say thank you. Thank you for partnering. Thank you for praying. Thank you for packing and for believing for God to do what only he can do. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Gifflin, for sharing um, part of your story, and there's more to come in the back afterwards, along with a great meal. Why would you leave? <laughs> Got to come back and learn more and get excited, and, and I know a lot of people are excited, and I know we know Wendy's excited, but let's all get excited about Operation Christmas Child, amen? Praise the Lord. It truly is a powerful thing to be able to advance the gospel through this means, in this way. It is powerful. Um, and praise God for what he has done, is doing, and will do yet before he comes, and, and reaping that harvest uh, for the kingdom. Praise the Lord. Um, you know, we're t- talking about these, these children that are getting these boxes, and um, I'm thinking of our own kids, right? Because it's super church time. And they're going to go back, and we're planting seeds as well. Right? We're planting seeds. We're inspiring them to know the Lord and to be energized about the Lord. And even like with VBS, Vacation Bible School, and, and Super Church, and other things that we do, we fill these boxes. I was looking just before they get dismissed for Super Church when I came in this morning, and I saw these boxes. And all these boxes with the names on them are some of the kids that were at Vacation Bible School. So you might recognize some of the names, and some of you students that are here, kids that are here, some of you are, might not be here, but maybe you'll see them next time because they'll be piling up on the sides. And Wendy, how many boxes are we filling this year? 300 boxes, all right? So we always set the goal high here at New Hope Chapel. And you know what we do at New Hope Chapel? We always exceed it. So I am so grateful that someone like Andrew Christ is going to fill 50 boxes by himself. (laughs) And he's like, what? No, I'm teasing. We're going to fill boxes, my friends, and we're going to send them out, and we're going to be a blessing, and the gospel will go forth. So we're looking forward to that. All right, kiddos, ages 5 to 10, it's Super Church. Get out, get energized, get the Word of God in you, and then you're going to share the gospel just like we do at OCC. Amen? Praise the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. It truly is a special morning, and we're excited. This is a day we set apart for Operation Christmas Child. And as I was preparing my message, it all fits in. And then as Gifflin's talking, I thought, wow, it's a perfect connection to what I wanted to share this morning. And it really comes down to everything that goes on regarding the gospel to you and to me. How dare you put that on me as an individual? God's in charge of the harvest. Yes, he is. But you are a co-laborer, and you got to work, and you got to respond, and you got to obey. I want to get fired up, and i got to calm down, because you know how I can get, right? you got to respond. You got, you, don't, don't tell me you got nothing to do with it. God, you have just as much to do with it as, as, as God does at the outset. God initiates, he starts it, he gets you going, and then we get fired up, and we serve side by side with the Lord, and we advance the gospel. Amen? So I want to encourage you to, to take to heart what we're going to hear this morning and be challenged and encouraged. And we're in 2 Kings this morning, and uh, we'll, come, we'll come full circle, right? Back to OCC at the end of service. You'll see how, right? But, but we're going to 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 1 to 16. And in that Old Testament uh, account of this historical event, there's a lot going on. And I'm not going to read the scripture for the sake of time, but have your Bibles open and we're going to go through some of the verses and I'll highlight them and I'll give you a little background uh, as we start. And this passage in, in chapter um, 7 of 2 Kings is set against this backdrop, right, of the, a really, really desperate situation. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like life and death. It's do or die, whatever. And the city of Samaria was surrounded by the Syrian army. And the people within the walls of the city were literally starving to death. Actually, just as I said that, I thought about what's going on in Israel and Gaza. Let's pause and pray for them. That's totally in order. Not just to say to do it, but to do it. Talk is cheap. And if I just tell you to do it, that's, just, that's cheap, man. Let's do it right now. What are we waiting for? Right? We go to God right now. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just lift up our brothers and sisters, but also your people, the Jews, Lord God. We lift up the nation of Israel. We lift up the people in Gaza, Lord God, and those surrounding territories, Lord God, where there is so much violence and bloodshed. And it's a desperate situation for so many people, God. Father, I pray first for the peace of Jerusalem, God. We want to heed your instructions to us, God. And we pray for your people, for your peace to remain there. We pray for wisdom for the leaders. We pray, Lord God, for the turning of hearts that many, many, many souls and lives would be saved and come to that knowledge of You as Lord and Savior. And for many of the Jews to know that You are Messiah. You are the one who came and died for them, rose again, and is coming again. And Father, I pray they would place their faith and trust in You. We pray, Lord God, for all the other individuals there, Lord God, every other tribe and Lord, that in that region, that area, God, that are, that, are, that are surrounding Israel. We lift them up to You as well. We pray, God, for those, Lord Jesus, to come to know You as well, Lord. God, that you would have mercy, Lord God, but that you, God, would show yourself strong and that you would, Lord Jesus, continue to unveil your plan as you are coming so soon. Help us to be alert and aware and vigilant and have that sense of urgency that Gifflin even mentioned, Lord God, that we would be ready and we'd be working and we'd be on our feet for you and for your gospel. God, we pray and lift up that region right now in Jesus' name. We trust you, we submit them to you, and we thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. 
Don't forget them. Pray for them. Amen? Amen. I could keep going. I could keep praying for them, actually. But anyway. So we have, again, this the situation. You have the backdrop here. And it's actually kind of similar to what's going on, I mean, if I think about that. And the people are, are literally starving. And the, if you look in chapter 6, if you have your Bible, you can just kind of glance. I'm not going to talk about it. But in verses 25 to 29, you will see the conditions. They're not good. It's terrible. And the Bible makes it very clear. And then one day, one day in that situation, there is a message of hope that came from a most unlikely source. It wasn't a shoebox. But it could have been. But it wasn't a shoebox. It was the most unlikely source. Four messengers brought a message to the city gate that changed everything for those who were trapped inside of that city. They were trapped. They had no way out. And it was a message of life and hope. And yet, if you think about it, and, and it was so close to being a message that was almost never told. So close. The passage has much to say to you and me this morning, and we've got to listen, we've got to hear it. We also have a message of hope and life, right, that needs to be shared with the world that is trapped in sin and darkness, and especially if we're believers, we've come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, the one true God. We have a message to share, just like these messengers. There's a parallel there, right? And my prayer is that the days of sitting silently, right, in this world, right, when, when everyone's perishing around us, it ends. We've got to stop being quiet. We've got to stop it. Wherever we are, we've got to share the gospel. We have to be messengers that are active in, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our advancement of the gospel. And again, I'm praying that. I pray that we will see that the need to share the message that we have been given is so, so important. In fact, it's the most important thing. There is nothing else more important Let's notice, if you would, in that passage, the details of this text and see what it has to say to us. It's so important. Notice first that these messengers are those who were absolutely shocked. They were surprised at what they discovered in their desperation. And I'm going to tell you about them. I'm getting there. All right. Here are these four lepers who end up being messengers. Four lepers who are starving to death. Now, lepers would go hungry anyway because they were begging, they were on the outskirts, they were put out. We don't see that here in our nation very much, although there's been some stuff happening in Florida a little while ago with some kind of form of leprosy going on. It's, it's a scary thing. But this is still commonplace, and in other regions of this world, this still exists. But if you were a leper, you were off to the side. You were looked down on. You were kicked out. You were on the edge of the garbage dump. And you had to beg for your food, for your clothing, for everything. You had to beg. And if you were fortunate enough, somebody would give you something. So you were always hungry. But they're now they're starving. It's beyond that. Just like everybody else in the city. And here they are. And they wisely, in their situation, they wisely reason that it is better to go into the camp of the Syrians, the enemies, right? and die by the sword than it is to sit where they are and starve to death anyway. Think about that. The reasoning that's involved. It's a really desperate situation. 
You have to be absolutely desperate. And it reminds me of some of you who are here this morning and a lot of my friends and others who I've known that they came down to that point where they were in the lowest of the low. They were in the gutter. They had nowhere else to go. There was no hope. They had to do something. And that's when they said, as I mentioned a couple weeks, God, if you're real, and then God comes through. God does something. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But they were desperate. They had to do something. What's the difference? Sit here or die or go in. What should we do, right? And so they make a decision. Listen, perhaps and maybe this is where faith really starts. Okay, for all of us. It is, we know faith is a gift from God. Amen? Amen? All right, it is a gift from God. But on our end, it just might be that, that faith starts with a question. Why not? How's everything going for you in life without Jesus? And you get to that point, and why not? I don't say that cheaply, like Jesus is just an option and some pragmatic, if it works, it works. It doesn't know because He works and He's the only one. He's, that's it. You need Him, right? But you get to that point, why not? What do I have to lose? Look at me, my life. I, I need something. I need someone. I'm miserable. I'm lost in my sin. Nothing's going well. I'm scared about eternity. There could be a million questions. Why not? And I imagine their surprise, their shock, these lepers, when they arrive and they decide to go to that Syrian camp and they find all the soldiers are gone, as the Bible tells us in our text. I know I didn't read it, but it's there. You can check it out, Right? They find they're all gone and all the wealth, all the booty, right? And the, the Syrian army was left there for their taking. It's all theirs, man. It's all theirs. They were literally rescued from certain death. They were spared. They were overjoyed because of their good fortune, right? And they began to live it up. They were living it up with what they found. They were in a desperate situation. They took a leap of faith, if you will. I'll use that expression. But they, by faith, went and said, let's just go. And they go, and God demonstrates mercy through the situation. It's all vacant, and they start to get have everything that's there. God had it all set up for them, right? And these men are a picture. These four lepers are a picture of a redeemed sinner at this point. Right? Those who have been brought from sure death to life, right? We have eternal life now. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive through Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 says. And there is so much delight, right? Isn't there? There's so much delight in knowing that you are saved and you're headed to heaven, that you will be spared the wrath of God. I'm always blown away by the response. I know you're listening. I know you're listening, and you think I'm yelling, and I'm, you, I get fired up. You know that I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about this, all right? But there is delight, right, in what we have in Jesus and who He is. I'm not the one that's supposed to try to get it out of you. It's yours. Start living with that delight. Come on, man. It's a great life. It's the best life. 
It's with Jesus. It's not perfect. It's difficult, but it is the best life you'll ever have right here. And then it lasts forever with Him. And we know that we have the guarantee and the insurance because of the Holy Spirit and Jesus will never let us be stolen from Him. Hallelujah. Praise God. We've got it. There's so much to love. And these guys are like, we are saved. We are spared. We're not going to die. We're going to eat. We're going to live another day, even though we're lepers. We are going to live. And there is joy in passing from death to life. How many of you have been so sick you thought you were going to die? You even use that expression. Oh, I feel like I'm going to die. And then when you're on the other side, you're delighted. Now magnify that by 60 billion, gazillion, zillion times, whatever. It's what it is when we talk about the spiritual and we talk about being saved and being born again and brought into the family of God and being passed from death to life, from darkness to light. What a powerful thing it is. And it's all because of the powerful name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And notice that they enjoyed their beautiful new surroundings. Right? Notice first that they whined and they dined. They whined and dined. Not W-H-I-N-E-D, but they W-I-N-E-D-ed. Right? They whined and they dined. These men were starving, but when nightfall came, they had more than they could have eaten in many lifetimes, maybe. Maybe I'm exaggerating. But they had so much food at their disposal, if you will. And those who know Jesus, there's a parallel. Those of us who know Jesus, we can feast on spiritual food and can drink from fountains of living water and be satisfied to overflowing. Amen! I love it. I love food. So to know that I can feast on Jesus, and even he said so in John chapter 6, he's that bread and I can keep eating it, and he, he's the bread of life, right? But, but it's even, think about where that, where that, how that happens. It all happens with our connection to him through the word of God and by his spirit. It starts with the word of God. The word comes, right? Jeremiah said in chapter 15, verse 16, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. Oh, I just want more. I mean, Denise, I want that pumpkin pie from last night. Do you have more? Well, we have some at home you gave us. But I mean, I want more. You just want more and more and more of Jesus. And you, you just, you, 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 the next day, and you, you're, you're hungry and, and you get filled and, you, want, and you, you can't get enough of Jesus to your heart's delight. And he says here, they are my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God of heaven's armies. I love your word. I'm so consumed and I eat them up. Do we eat them up and have that delight that we can have because of our connection to Jesus and because of who God is? We should be whining and dying and enjoying the inexplicable, unexplainable, and just that we can't even count the riches that we have in Christ. We should be enjoying that. They whined and they died. They had plenty of drink and food. Secondly, they found wealth. They didn't just have food, but they found wealth. These four men were dirt poor. They were lepers. And it came with who they were. They were dirt poor. They subsisted right off the garbage that people threw away. And if they got a handout here and there, they were fortunate. They were outcasts and they had absolutely nothing but a few loose scraps of garments on their backs. That's it. And that's all they had. And the situation was made worse by this famine in the city, as I mentioned. No one threw anything away. So what do they get? Nothing. Nichoho in Ukrainian. Nothing. You get nothing because everyone's holding on to it, right? 
Kind of like, well, anyway, I'll hold my tongue. They have more gold and silver than they could possibly spend. Where are they going to spend it? But they have more gold and silver. They never had that. And there's a parallel to us with their physical wealth that they have in the gold and silver. Those who know Jesus, you and I who know Jesus, enjoy spiritual blessing beyond the imagination of those who do not know the Lord. You, you, it's almost inexplicable. But we try and we must. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in Ephesians 1.3, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing means every spiritual blessing. Not some, not 20%, but we are blessed with them all. Are you enjoying and are you realizing your newfound wealth in Christ? The common things in the Christian life, right? Things enjoyed by everyone who knows the Lord that we take for granted are way more precious than gold and silver. Way more precious. We have His presence. We have His provision. We have His power. And we have His promises. What else do you need? I need a new jet ski. You can have one. It's cool. No, no, no but, but, but if I had... And we, we play these games, right? But we have everything we need in Jesus. Notice thirdly that they had a new wardrobe. They didn't just have the food and the wine and they were drinking and eating. They didn't have just the gold and silver and now they were like instantly rich. But they had a new wardrobe, new clothing. Covers all the bases for these guys like it does for us, right? In the morning they were dressed in rags and then evening comes and they're dressed in the finest robes of the Syrian army. Pretty cool, right? They had never been as well-dressed as they were that evening. Think about it. Before you knew Jesus, in a spiritual realm, in a spiritual sense, you were never as well-dressed as when you found Jesus. Ever. Oh, you thought you were. You impressed other people, and then your clothes was actually nasty, and it was filthy and gross and falling apart and out of style the next day, right? But when you found Jesus, you were clothed with His righteousness. What can beat that? What beats that? And if you've come to the Lord for your salvation, you have also traded your rags for His robes. Amen? And I'm glad that I am saved, aren't you? And that I have the righteousness of Christ. Isaiah 64.6 and 61.10 and in Revelation, you can read those Scriptures. And the Bible's full of these expressions where we take off the old, put on the new, and we have new garments on us. I rejoice in the robe of righteousness that I have been clothed with by the grace of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Not my righteousness. His righteousness. And I am clothed with that. No one can take that away from me. And don't take it off. Don't take it off. Because you can. Don't take it off. Don't do it. They had a new wardrobe. These are real blessings enjoyed by the children of the Lord. They are not to be discounted, but they are to be accepted and God is to be praised, of course, because of them. And thank God for every blessing that He gives us. Amen? Look at secondly in, in the second part of verse 8 and verse 9. Look at their sobering find. They are sobered. When they come to a relationship, when, when they realize what they found, it's actually so sobering and it sets them straight and helps them to think clearly. 
There's a word there. There's an expression they said, and, it, and I'm paraphrasing. It's not just for us. They've gotten their fill. And they're looking at each other. And, I'm par- and they're like, wait a minute. This isn't just for us. There are people all around us who are dying. The city's besieged and they're starving. And there's this- It's not just for us. It's not just for me. And that mentality is so messed up. I'll be honest with you. Can't live that way. That's not a godly way to live. That it's just for me. And that all this wealth and this wardrobe and, and all this food that I have is just for me. We cannot live that way. This is their realization. These men were so caught up in their excitement over their newfound blessings that they almost forgot or they had forgotten while they were devouring all that stuff and taking it in. They forgot about everybody else around them. They were loving it so much. They were so engrossed in the delight of what they had found because of the mercy of God and they were spared. They forgot about everybody else. Oh, it's easier to do than you think. Perhaps you've done that. I've done that. We get so caught up in our personal relationship with Jesus, and that's important, that's critical, that's everything, that we forget about everybody else. Oh, God's so good! But we never share His goodness with those around us. Or we miss opportunities. I'm not here to guilt you. I'm just telling you that it's not just for us. It's not. They realized that they had been worse off, these four lepers, than everybody else. And now that they were in better shape than anyone, it finally hit home. It's not just for us. we got to share this. And they realized that they were hoarding up the blessing instead of sharing them with those in need. Whew. Okay, stand track, Bob. Their statement... Where what we're doing is not right. Read it in your Bible. What we're doing is not right sums it up pretty good, doesn't it? But they were there by the mercy of God. They, they took a leap of faith and they just went and they were spared. And, but they came to that realization, a sobering one. We're not doing what's right. We who are saved, again, need to remember that the blessings of the Lord we enjoy are not given to us to merely make us happy. Oh, we take delight and we are happy. But we also have joy and we also have a mission and we have urgency and we have to share that. We want other lives spared and saved just like ours have been. God has blessed us so that we might share those blessings with those around us and to those who need Him. Not everyone has what we have. And we need to realize that. When we hoard up what the Lord has blessed us with, then what we're doing is not right. It's not. This is their reasoning. They decided that the blessings were not exclusively for themselves, but that it was a day of good news, it says in the Scripture there. A day of good news. Others needed what they had, and they wanted to share it with them. They realize they were hoarding. It's a day of good news, and how can we not share it? And I just want to remind you that all around us are people who need what the redeemed have. Amen? This is their resolve. They realize something, then they reason, listen, this is good news. How can we keep it ourselves? And they resolve. They determine, they make a decision, we're going to act on this. They resolve to go and to tell others about what had been found. They wanted someone else 
to be helped as they had been helped. This is where witnessing begins. Evangelizing. Loving others, sharing the gospel, sharing the wealth of Christ, if you will, with others around us. When we understand that lost people are perishing all around us, and that we have a message that can help them, actually save them, it ought to stir us to action for the glory of the Lord. Amen? It ought to stir us. After all, we have already been equipped for His service. Acts 1.8 tells us that when we receive the Holy Spirit, when Jesus gives us His Holy Spirit, and we are saved, He gives us His Spirit. He gives us that power to be witnesses. No, He gives us power to live it up and to feel good about ourselves. And look at me, and I'm so righteous, and I'm good, and I'm abiding by this, and I know everything perfectly. And No, it's to tell the unbelievers to, and about who Jesus is and to glorify God. That's what the Holy Spirit's given for. You will be my witnesses. What we need more than anything is to see the needy. They're all around us. And to see the need, which is great. And sadly, as I mentioned, most Christians are like the four lepers who enjoy the blessings of the vacant camp of the enemy. Our lives have changed because of Jesus. And that is all that matters And listen, I want to remind you that the cross is for others as well. The cross of Christ was not just for you. It was for you. He would have done it just for you. He would have went on the cross for you. But it's for others as well. And maybe resolve, just like they did in our hearts, that we will go and tell people about Jesus. Sobering, if we're honest, that we often get so lax about sharing the gospel and the need for people to repent, and that Jesus offers everything they will ever need. Thirdly and lastly, in verses 10 to 11, realize the sense of their faith. The sense of their faith. They had, their faith had sense. I mean, there was, it was practical. It wasn't just like, you know, we took a step, we did it. But they, 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 when, they, when they were sobered up and they came to this realization, they reacted to the need of others and they took the message to those in need. They didn't just say, you know what, this isn't just for us. Let's strategize for 45 days and we have a perfect plan of how we can go and tell other people. Let's make sure that it's I harp on this because I'm serious about it and I don't mean to belittle this. So I hope you all understand, but I'm being serious. They weren't worried about, are we going to be sound theologically when I tell other people about it? What is there to be sound about? I was saved by God's mercy. End of story. The guy who was healed by Jesus said, I once was blind and now I see. What else do you want? Want me to tell you about, about God and He's the self-sufficient, all-existent uh, Jehovah, Yahweh, who always was and go through all the names of El and, 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 and the, the, the names of God and, so you really understand? No! You just tell your story. You tell it the way it is. God is merciful. He can be merciful to you. This is how He will be merciful. He already was because of Jesus and what He did. Do you believe it? I do. He changed my life. That's it. Share the news. That's what these boxes do. That's what we're supposed to do. They didn't sit there and debate and have a 45-day strategy, a three-year plan with 64 committees on how we're going to go and do this or that or the other. Right? I hope God helps Samaritan's Purse to not have so many layers that they're so bureaucratic and all these things that, and it runs smoothly. Hallelujah. Right? But we can get so messed up with that. No, just go do it. Yes, it takes planning and strategy. Don't misunderstand me. Go and share 
the gospel. You know what it takes? It takes courage. It takes courage. It took courage for these outcasts of society to approach the city gates. They stood the chance of death and certainly of total rejection. They're lepers. It takes courage to serve the message of Jesus to to a lost world. Usually they do not want to hear what we have to say. Have you ever encountered that? I have. Actually, very recently. Others know what we used to be, and they see us as being as unclean as they are, and they, they won't want to believe it, right? And regardless of the response we receive when we share the good news of Jesus, it must be shared nonetheless. Got to share it. Amen. Romans 10, 13 to 14, we know the scripture where Paul says, for everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. Pretty simple statement, and it's truth. Call in the name of the Lord, you're saved. Believe on Him. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him in whom they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? Do you have the courage to be a witness for Jesus? Just a question. Secondly, look at the compassion that it required. When they, when the, the sense of their faith, it was, it required courage, but it required compassion for these men to go to a city full of people that had no doubt mistreated them, despised them, and ignored them. Took great compassion, courage, and compassion. They were so moved by what they had, they had to spare and save their fellow humans. They had to do something. After all, as you, as I mentioned, lepers were considered dead by society, and they had to go, and they were moved inside. Sometimes families even had funerals for them when they were cast out of the city because that was the end of them. And after such treatment, they might, they might have said this thing. They might have said, let them all die. They deserve it after what they have done to us. Right? But the fact is, those in the city needed to hear and these men did the right thing. They did the right thing. Nothing shows the compassion of the Lord Jesus more than you taking the time whether it's one sentence or it's a whole long 20-minute conversation, to go to someone or when they approach you when the opportunity is there and share with them the message of Christ's saving gospel. In spite of who they are, in spite of their past treatment of you maybe, in spite of your past relationship with them, they need to hear and you and I have been commissioned to tell them about the one about the Jesus who can save their souls. May we have the love of God in our hearts to the degree that we will do whatever we have to to go to those around us with that life-changing, life-saving gospel of grace. God help us. You know what the result was? The result was when they had their sense of faith and they put it into action, it just wasn't courageous and compassionate but it resulted in conversions. There were conversions as a result of their compassionate courage. That's like a formula almost. Not really, but, right? If you're compassionate, you have the courage, you have the gospel, you have that wealth, you have Christ, and you go, it results in conversions. You don't do that. You plant the seeds. We already heard these boxes don't save anyone. They're seeds, they're ways to get there, but the gospel of grace, the Holy Spirit, He saves, the grace of God is there, working, and God does it, not you. When the message was heard by these lepers, when they went into the city, it was met with skepticism at first, if you read in chapter 7 there. You can check it out. And it was believed. And then it was believed. And the city was saved as a result. Think about that. 
Four guys go in. They shouldn't even be there. They come across this empty camp and their life is spared. They have way too much for themselves. They were loving it, hoarding it for a while. Then they realized this is messed up. This is wrong what we're doing. Then they kind of reasoned and said, and they sobered up and they said, whoa, there's a conviction. It's wrong. What we're doing is wrong. Let's go and tell someone because other lives can be saved. And they go, they take a a chance, if you will, but by faith they go because they're moved by compassion courageously and they say, hey, we got all this stuff at our disposal. You should have some too. You'll be spared. You'll have... You'll live. Right? And we're talking physically here, but you'll live. And they, and they, because they refused to hoard that blessing, a multitude was saved. Thousands of people were saved because of four lepers. When you share your faith, remember that you are not responsible for the results. The more you think about that, can I just be, I'm going to give you a little secret, and I'm not, I'm just, this is what I have found. The more you think about that, the harder it becomes to witness. It does. I got to save someone. No, you're a messenger. You're a messenger. And that message saves. Right? It's the Word of God. It's the Spirit of God. And we, we are responsible to send the message. And, and our job is to tell God does the saving. When you determine to tell, some will heed and others will not. But when, you have, but when you have done as the Lord has instructed you, you have been obedient to His call, and your life and everything that you, he's, that you do for Him is going to be honored. God's going to honor you for it. Do what God says and leave the rest up to Him. It's amazing how you never know how it will turn out when you tell someone about Jesus. Now, I was struggling with this, but I'm not going to talk about me. Because I have some stories that I still get so inspired by of things that happened when I was in Ohio and I got hooked up with people from the past 25 years later that found me, located me, and shared with me how I shared with them. And now they're walking with Jesus and their families and they're serving God. I'm not bragging. Those are just seeds. I didn't save them. I didn't do anything. I left thinking, ah, whatever. And I was a teenager in high school. All right? And that's what God does. I'm not going to mention those. But I want to leave you in the closing of our service, we have a few minutes, and we're going to go back and have a great time with Gifflin, have great food, learn more about Operation Christmas Child. We're going to pick up boxes so that we could spread the seeds of the gospel and, and have entryways for the gospel to get in. We're going to do that, right? And we're going, to, we're going to get more than 300 boxes this year, Wendy. We're going to do it, right? Amen, right? I want to leave you with, with cases of people who discovered the treasure that Jesus is and then shared their discovery with others. Simple ones. Do you remember in John chapter 4, Jesus goes to the well, and there's a, there's a woman there at the well, a Samaritan woman. Jesus has a conversation with her, a lot of stuff going on there. And, and, and even later, there's another passage and, and, where there's something similar that happens, but Jesus is talking to her. And he, as they're talking, he basically exposes her for who she is because he knows everything about everyone. And Jesus is moved by compassion. He wants her. He wants her to have the living water that he is versus the well water that she's getting physically. And to have spiritually and eternally the, the, that water just bubbling up and springing up inside of her. 
And he tells her that. And you know, if you read in verses 28 to verse 30, that it says there that she was blown away and she went and she went outside the city. And it says there, she went and told everybody, come and see this man who told me everything about me. (laughs) Oh, I don't know what she said. And if she got into details, probably not because knowing her, people probably knew some stuff about her too. And I mean that. But she says that. And you know what verse 30 says? You know what the results are? When she had found this wealth, when she found this treasure in Christ, and that that she was, it says that all came to see. They wanted to go. The result was they responded and they all went to find out and see who Jesus was. Read it in verse 30. That was the result. Now, we don't have that always happening when people share what Jesus did in the gospel. Some get blown off or rejected. Hardcore but they still couldn't contain it, right? Secondly, Acts chapter 4, verse 20. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are preaching the gospel, and they're sharing. They, after all they had been to, after seeing their Lord, after three and a half years, three or three and a half years walking with Him, and then even Peter denying Him, but seeing Him die on the cross and rise again and being witnesses of that. And now they're at Pentecost, and they're filled with power, with the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. And now they're the apostles of the early church, and they're preaching this gospel, that everything Jesus taught them, they're teaching everyone everywhere they go. And they're getting a lot of flack for it but they've got the greatest treasure they've got everything they could ever need and want that anyone ever needs and they're going to share it and they get in trouble in chapter four and the leaders say stop this nonsense what are you doing and actually they go on and as they as they 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 get confronted they're arrested and when they are told to stop sharing about him right stop preaching about jesus all they could say was this Two words, well, three, but one. We can't. We can't. I know I'm paraphrasing, but that's what they said. How can we stop telling? How can we stop telling about this good news? We can't stop. You're telling us, and if we get arrested, that's fine. We can't stop sharing about this Jesus. You know what the results are? You know what the results are? I would say that those results are pretty amazing. That the salvation of many souls has resulted by the courage, the compassion that they had to share the wealth. Right? They didn't hold it in. They didn't hoard it. They shared it. They didn't care what they got for it. It was everything. People who were healed in the Gospels testified and told People who were saved. The blind man, he wasn't just saved physically or healed physically. He was also healed spiritually because he came back. Jesus found him out after he got put on trial twice, right? And and, and who did this? Who's this guy? I don't know. I was once was blind. And he's he's Jesus. How could he be a sinner? If he was a sinner, he couldn't do this kind of thing to me. And then eventually Jesus finds him after uh, he, he, he responds to the leaders twice on trial, if you will. And Jesus says, do you believe who I am? Do you believe in this guy? I, I, I want to believe in him. And, and he ended up believing him. And it was a wonderful miracle of the changing of his, his heart, but also physically his sight was, was restored, right? This morning, before we go back, you have to hear. I'm going to ask Bill and Grace to come on up. And I'm going to, we're going to close with this testimony. When we talk about the treasure that we have in Christ... 
When we talk about we have everything we ever need in Christ, this is what it's all about. Amen? Amen? Amen. Right? Come closer. Come closer, guys. Come on. Come tight. Come tight. Come tight, brother and sister. Right? And by the way, Bill, it's okay to cry. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Amen, right? Listen, I remember, I don't know, a week and a half or so before Bill's surgery on his neck. And he came in one day. And uh, it was a Thursday. And um, I kind of intercepted him in the foyer. And he says, I just, I'm in so much pain. He was just, you remember that day? I mean, he was just wet with tears. He says, all I know is that I just, I've been up all night. I've been asking God to have mercy to heal me, take this pain away. I just, I'm just, I don't know what else to do. And he says, I just felt so impressed that I have to come. I just got to come into sanctuary and just spend time at the altar and just lay down right there. I said, I'm not stopping you. Go. And so he went. I said, I'll come back in a little while. We'll pray together. And he's pouring out his heart. And the pain was so severe that he couldn't, he couldn't stand it. Couldn't. And we cried, we prayed together, and he left, right? And then he had surgery, and we, we all prayed. We were all praying for his surgery. And he said, and he, and he had the surgery, and after he came back, and he called me last week, and he says, I got a testimony, but what did you say? But I want you to share it. And I said, it's not my testimony. So anyway, he told me his testimony, and I wrote it down. And did I lose it? Uh-oh. Where'd it go? Oh, no, here, I, last page. There it is. As you can tell, Bill had neck surgery, right? He had a bad neck, affecting his nerve. This left arm was in constant pain, always numb. Just, it was bad for a long, long time. So, before surgery, Bill wants you to know, and I'm, I'm kind of talking like I'm Bill, but the pain level in his arm was 10 plus every day for a long time. Right? That, that's your word. That's not mine. That's your experience, right? And then Monday, September 25th, I had my surgery, Bill, Bill said. And right after that, I had no more pain. As soon as I came out of recovery, it was gone. I had no more pain. None. None. I know it's surgery. God's involved. God's there. God's on them. God's on the surgeon. No more pain. And as far as the pain meds are concerned, he was telling me, he had morphine the night after surgery. Like that night he had morphine, right? He had morphine, and then on Tuesday and Wednesday, because September 25th was a Monday when he had surgery, Tuesday and Wednesday, all he had was Tylenol. Since then, I've had nothing. I'm, I'm talking like I'm Bill. He's had nothing. Nothing to alleviate the pain because he hasn't had any. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God, right? Wednesday, Wednesday, two days after surgery, Wednesday the 27th, he was to have his swallow test to see if he could be discharged to go home, right? Because if you're not swallowing right, you're not going home. It's, it can be very dangerous. And Bill said, My prayer was this. He said, My prayer was, God, you know what I want. You know what I want. I want to go home so bad. I, I want to go home. You know that. But whatever you want, that's fine. Right? That, those were, that was your prayer. And he failed the swallow test and had to stay in the hospital. 
What do you think he's thinking? Whatever you want, God. Whatever you want. Two days later on Friday, he had another swallow test. And he prayed the same exact thing that he had prayed before his swallow test on Wednesday. Same exact thing. And you know what he got? He got the same results. He didn't, he didn't pass that swallow test. It was in his time, he says. And he was still there. He's still in the hospital, stuck in the hospital. Right? And, and he says on Monday, actually he says, I had been on an IV diet. He was getting all his nutrition through an IV on, from surgery on Monday all the way to Friday. And then by Friday evening, the 29th, he had a tube, right, to put in to feed him to get nutrition and, and to, to be fed. He had a feeding tube. And on Monday, October 2nd, he had his third swallow test. Same prayer again as the previous two times. And he thought, if I fail this again, I'm going to be fed through, through the tube in my stomach. Like for a long time, it's going to be like an ongoing thing here. And you know what happened this time? He passed. He passed. It was all God's timing. All God's timing. Let me explain. So, Bill, I'm, I'm talking like I'm you, but... I, Right? Because he asked me to. Because he, he, yeah, he can't do it, right? I pretend I'm Bill. I was in the hospital for one week. And I know, and I knew that God had me there and that I needed that whole time that I was there. And we serve an awesome God. Right? We serve an awesome God. It's always about God's timing and not ours. Those are Bill's words, by the way. Here's what I did. In addition, this is what he did. In addition to maintaining my trust in him, all this time I'm in the hospital, you have to know something. For over 50 years, I get this, for over 50 years, I had been addicted to nicotine. 50 years. I don't know why it's been, it's, it's a long time, right? It's a long time, brother. Fifty times. He's getting ahead, right? You don't need me. You don't need me. You don't don't need me. (laughs) Hallelujah. Fifty years. And by the way, if you're on nicotine and you had the surgery, had in his vertebrae for fusion, the bones won't fuse. That's what it does if you're a smoker. And he had to be free of that, right? And so he's there. It prevents that. And he's there for a whole week. And in that time that he's there... This is Bill's word. God released me from nicotine, from the bondage and from the addiction of nicotine. And he's delivered from that addiction. And he said, I tried it so many times over and over and over again. And what he thought he was going in for to be completely healed for his neck, which he's getting there. Hallelujah. And he has no pain. He got delivered from nicotine. I mean, come on. That's our God. That's the wealth that he has. And it's always a surprise. And you always want it to be this. But then God gives you something more important to be off of that nicotine. Because if he wasn't, he wouldn't be healing anyway in the natural because it would affect him negatively. Doesn't God know everything? Doesn't God have an amazing plan? And here's what you need to know, even as Bill and Grace are standing here. That if you, this is Bill's words, his last words. If you press into God wholeheartedly, I wrote this down, He will release you from addiction. Those are my words. Those are Bill's words. If you press into God with all your heart and you seek Him and you want Him, He will set you free from addiction. Hallelujah! 
We serve an awesome God. And to Him be all the glory, right? And all the praise. Praise His name. He does amazing things. So where is this all just going? I'm testifying on behalf of Bill because he'll break down, and that's a good thing. He asked me to. But you know what? He can't keep it in. That's the point. Whether it's what God has done in your life physically or emotionally or spiritually saving you, you can't keep it in. Don't hoard that news. Because you could save someone. You could save a whole city. You could save a nation. You don't know what God will do when you share the wealth of the Gospel and the power of Jesus Christ that works so mightily in our lives. Share the wealth. It's not just for you. It's for those around you. Amen?